Good morning. This is the QTR Podcast. How the hell is everybody? I've had a nice little break here, but I have been doing things in the background, lining up some big things, the first of which is today's interview with the legendary Montana Skeptic, who I am super excited to speak to in a couple of moments. But before we get started, I want to just reiterate how much I appreciate my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the QTR podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy my content on Twitter, elsewhere, give them a shout. Give them a play. They are my friends. They are the people I support, not just because they support me, but because I know them personally, because I've done business with them, because I vet them as honest people. And I got to tell you, The amount of dickheads and dildos and assholes that are asking for podcast sponsorships and all that shit and ad space on my Twitter to try to vet them all is a taxing process. So I only stick with the people that I know so that when my listeners hear it, they at least know it's somebody that they should be able to count on. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers, and these are the kind folks over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place that I have ordered personal gold or silver bullion now for quite some time, since they've been starting the podcast probably almost two years now. They're wonderful people. Uh, Rob and Rob over at JM Bullion I've been talking to. Great guys. They're big fans of the QTR podcast. They love what we do. They love our listeners and they want to offer personalized service for anybody that's interested in ordering their gold and silver from JM Bullion. You can do that by clicking through the link on my podcast description if you want to do it via the web or you can just email Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com and Laura will give you personalized service. Just tell her you're a QTR podcast listener. Let her know what you're interested in. If you don't feel like dicking around with the website, she will tell you what's in stock, what they have, and she will make sure that you get taken care of. Uh, My dear friends over at JM Bullion, I want to thank you guys so much for uh, continuing to support the podcast. If you're a listener and you never checked them out, it's a great time to do that. Check out the link. Check out the uh, JM Bullion on Twitter. Just show them some love in general. Somebody else that's been supporting my podcast for a long time is my dear friend Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus over at the Steam Room. The Steam Room, I've talked about it on every episode now, I think going back years. But the Steam Room is a wonderful piece of software that helps track money coming into the options market, which oftentimes can be very lucrative information. If you're looking where the big money is going, Before things hit the tape, it can sometimes be quite lucrative. And the Steam Room is one of those pieces of software that, if you don't use it like an ass, might even be able to pay for itself. Now, Lucci and Wall Street Jesus and Charlie Bathgate have all reached out to me to tell me that they want to offer a free trial, 30 days free trial, to any QTR podcast listener. And again, the Steam Room is a piece of software that really, it's... It is an iteration better than any type of unusual options activity that you get now. I don't know where you get it. If you get it on your platform, if you get it on Twitter. But the Steam Room is an aesthetically pleasing piece of software. And they also track other things hitting the tape aside from that. There's nobody in the business. There's nobody in the damn business that's better than Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci at this. Plus, they are honest people to do business with. And if you want to give their shit a try, check them out. Give them a shout. Their links are in my podcast description. Tell them I sent you. They will make sure that you get taken care of. I guarantee it. 
This podcast also brought to you by my dear friend Pete Hedgetus over at the Trader's Path. The Trader's Path is a day trading community that Pete started because he got tired of the nonsense and the bullshit of other day trading services, some of which have recently gotten into trouble with the FTC. So Pete did a good thing by leaving those services and starting his own. You got to give him some love just for that. But on top of that, another honest guy who has been supporting the podcast, my podcast. He doesn't, you know, none of these guys give me shit about my content. None of them complain about anything. All they do is show up every month and contribute to my Patreon and Hopefully, I'm sending them some love and some business their way, but Pete's one of those guys, man. I talk to him like once every couple of months. Sorry, Pete. I know it's not that much. I know it's not enough, but he's just been an ardent supporter, and these people really ask for nothing in return. They don't give me scripts. They let me say whatever the fuck I want, so I just got to show a lot of love to Pete over at the Trader's Path. His service is wonderful. Daily watch lists, live scans. If you're looking for day-to-day trading ideas, all those links are in my podcast description. And get in touch with Pete. He's uh, at PLH Stock on Twitter. He will hook you up with a free trial too. I also want to shout out George Gammon, my dear friend who's coming on the podcast soon, over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. Uh, Rebel Capitalist Pro, one of my favorite forums to go and to talk macro. George Gammon, Chris McIntosh, and Lynn Alden, Tons of content, educational content, and I mean this is in addition to what George Gammon puts on his public YouTube, which blew past me on the podcast highway like a fucking Corvette driving past a uh, a Cuisinart. It was unbelievable. George started his shit after me, and next thing I knew, it was like uh, Spaceball One overshooting me in the uh, in the movie Spaceballs, just flying past me. And uh, George has just been kicking ass. He deserves every bit of it. But Rebel Capitalist Pro, a great forum and a great place to do live Q&As with experts like Lynn Alden, like Chris McIntosh, like George himself. If you're interested in macro, my dear friend, George Gammon, please show him some love. And all the links to these guys are in my podcast description. I also want to shout out uh, some of my new patrons, Tony A., Forrest Hendricks, Chase the Disgruntled, Jimmy John's Driver. Thanks for signing up, Chase. What's up, dude? Walter Wirtz, what's up, brother? Will Freese, Jacob Lowry, James Haas, thank you guys for sticking with me and signing up. Eric Bartlein, GMP and Bordoni, thank you. Doug Brimer, I still see you. Chad Widmer, some of my other newer patrons. How about Igor K and Patrick King? I appreciate you guys. Chris and Chris Bott, George Baker, thank you. And I also want to shout out Mark Dyer, my buddy Nicholas Witt. What's going on, buddy? Sean Wheeland, Adam Cosette, John Edwards, appreciate you guys still. How about my boy, Russ Valenti, Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, my buddy, Jay Mintzmeyer, Investors Underground, Crichton Titus, Camila Sol. I love all you guys. Honest to God, I want to thank you guys so much for your continued patron support because you make badass interviews like today possible. You make me want to stay after it. And there's really, you know, if you followed the Tesla saga, there's nobody really, and you're a skeptic, There's probably nobody really that you'd rather hear from than the godfather himself, Montana Skeptic. Before I bring him on, quick reminder, I am not an investment advisor. None of this is investment advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. We are just speaking here for the purposes of open dialogue. We are not recommending any securities. And there is a three-drink minimum 
for this podcast. And we've blown past 250 episodes. How about that shit? I should have done something for that. Yeah, way, streamers, confetti, whatever. Who cares? 251. We are on our way. I have my dear friend Montana Skeptic on the line with me. If you don't know who Montana Skeptic is, I was thinking this morning, maybe I should do like a quick primer. You've been on a bunch of times. I assume most of my listeners know who you are, but if they don't, uh, Montana Skeptic is a, uh, well, I don't have his bio, so I'm going to do it from memory, and then you can correct me uh, with everything I got wrong. He's a former trial attorney. He's got decades of experience. Uh, He's got his JD from Yale. He was one of the original people to speak out skeptically about Elon Musk and Tesla back in 2016, I think maybe even prior to that, before uh, at least a couple people in the mainstream atmosphere have kind of changed their tone about the boy wonder, if you will. Uh, And uh, famously, Elon Musk had phoned his boss back in the day and threatened to sue him, and then he went away for a couple of years, and then he came back with a vengeance. Um, And I have him here with me today, Mr. Montana Skeptic. How are you? Chris, hello. I'm great, and thank you for having me on. Did I mess up your intro or what? N- no, it was good. A, a couple of things. <laughs> I, I, there were many – There were many. Uh, you did a great job. There were many who spoke out about – who were skeptical about Tesla before I was. So I started in late mm, – I can't even remember, late 2015. But before that, there were a lot of people who were looking at Tesla's business model and scratching their head about lots of things about it second in terms of former trial attorney as we'll discuss a little bit later hey i'm back in business as a trial attorney in one case (laughs) earning absolutely nothing but you know but it's it's uh i have my trial attorney hat on again you're earning our love and admiration is what you're earning so i hope we get to talk about that later of course we will so listen i have a uh i have a lot of things i want to talk about me and you haven't spoken in a while, so we do have some things to catch up on. Um, I have a few topics I want to bring up. I want to hear about this resurgence in your life as a trial attorney as well. I've got some great questions here that some of my wonderful listeners have submitted. The, the very first thing, though, let's just, let's just talk about Elon Musk and China. And the reason I want to bring that up first is because... The relationship between the two of them seems to be souring, and it's something that you touched on. Not only did we talk about it on my podcast, but you wrote an article some years back asking whether or not Musk you know, risked becoming a Chinese asset at some point by doing business in China. And having put that down, maybe if you want to give a little exposition on, on that article again, but also comment on what you've seen here over the last year between the Chinese Communist Party and Elon Musk and what kind of seems to be happening. I would love your take on that. Yeah, let me do the best I can. So I wrote, I've written several articles about this in collaboration with a truly astute um, seeking alpha and um, punishing research. So lots of credit to her first for everything I'm gonna talk about. But what we wrote about were the actual we we took a look at the contracts tesla had signed in china and um analyzed what the potential dynamics were for tesla and it appeared to us that under the grant contract which gives tesla the right to use the land it's using in shanghai for 50 years as a uh, auto plant tesla is utterly beholden 
to the Chinese government, particularly, of course, the Chinese Communist Party, because it must always meet whatever, quote, relevant standards are promulgated by the Communist Chinese Party. And there's a vast apparatus of uh, regulatory uh, agencies in China that are governing everything from standardizing the way EVs are manufactured, the way they must learn to swap batteries, the way they must learn to use standard parts in many respects, and the way they must report data to the state so that the state now will have vast control over the, um, it's just another means of state surveillance among other things. And it's also a, a path to China ultimately trying to make driving autonomous or semi-autonomous in China. But it's a, everyone must comply. There's no, no one can have a secret sauce and that includes Tesla. So China was really eager to have Tesla come and open a factory there. And it signed that grand contract in October of 2018. And from then on, you read nothing but adulatory press from the Global Times, which is like an official organ of the, you know, the Communist Chinese Party. Um, and Tesla built the plant in record time. And it began producing cars in record time. And it received all this glowing press. And it was the first and only auto manufacturer, I believe, allowed to own 100% of its um, enterprise. So Tesla doesn't have a joint venture with a Chinese entity, whether, you know, controlled by the sovereign or, quote, private, end quote, in China. It owns 100% of the enterprise. And China became rapidly a huge growth engine for Tesla. Um, to the point where, as you know, if you look carefully at the financials from the latest 10Q, Tesla now sells more cars in China than any, any other geography in the world, more than the US. You have to subtract out the energy revenues to understand that. But when you do, you see China is the preeminent market for Tesla, or it was, you know, through the end of Q1. So suddenly, though, um, with China having gotten everything it wants from Tesla, it, it is now, you know, Tesla is now become the weed that shot up too high and needs to be cut down. And you started to see <laughs> some, some, you know, real signs that, that suddenly that the, everything has changed in China for Tesla. First, that China was very slow to approve uh, some variants of the Model 3, the all-wheel drive and the performance version. In the past, when Tesla sought approval of a car, it happened almost immediately. And those were held up for months and months. Then, you know, in, I think, late January, Tesla was summoned to a meeting with uh, various regulatory agencies, the ministers of those agencies, and they included the usual people who govern automobile production or industrial production, but also the Office of Central Cyberspace Affairs, which is interesting. And after that meeting where Tesla was criticized and lambasted for a supposed quality failings, it issued a groveling apology in, in, in February. <laughs> but that wasn't enough. You know, the, the beat went on. Then Tesla had to recall about 36,000 Model S and X cars over touchscreen problems to replace the touchscreens. You know, so, so that's interesting. You know, obviously China was taking quality issues far more seriously than, for example, any of the regulatory authorities in the United States have done thus far. Right. 
Then you had a ban of, of Tesla cars on military installations. And now more recently, you've had just this flood of negative press from the Global Times and other kind of official organs of the Communist Party there, you know, lambasting Tesla again. And it's some of it's odd because actually Tesla's quality in China is not all that bad. It, it ranks among the highest of all the Chinese EV producers. But now that more and more domestic companies are getting into the EV game in China, I think the, the it appears, and you know, it's you have to read tea leaves, as it were, to understand what's happening. And we're all just groping around in the dark trying to figure out what's happening. But it appears that China has said, you know, Tesla, you can be an automobile manufacturer, but you're going to be one, one among many. You're not going to be the preeminent one. Our Chinese companies are going to be the leaders here. And um, that's the way it's going to be. China. And so it appears to me, and to Maxed Out Mama, looking at all this information, that you know Tesla is being cut down to size. The Chairman G is not impressed with the charisma of you know, tubby Elon Musk. It's just uh, his his stuff sells very well in the U.S., obviously, and in Europe to some extent, and all over the world. But in China, he's he doesn't receive the kind of adulation he receives elsewhere, and they are not beholden to him. And and they're I think putting him in his place. And all this, you know, was predictable. We wrote about it early on how Tesla would be beholden to the CCP in terms of sharing data, in terms of adopting its policies. And um, and that's what's happening. And it's a problem for Tesla because, you, you know, it, Tesla has to meet certain requirements uh, that are financial metrics in order to remain in business in China. And it has to meet them by the end of 2023. And, the you know, the contracts are a little ambiguous. They, they're the, we've never seen the Mandarin versions. We only see the English translations. So I'm not sure whether the end of 2023 means it throughout 2023 it has to meet it, and then you measure it at the end of 2023. That's probably what it means, or it could start at the end of 2023. But we read about in Tesla's disclosures some of them. For example, the amount of property taxes it has to generate. But what Tesla doesn't disclose, which is odd to me, is is what appears to maxed out mama and me to be the most daunting requirement of the grant contract and that is that tesla achieve on an annual basis 75 billion renminbi of revenue each year which you know equates to about 11 and a half billion dollars in us dollars per year which is far more than tesla can achieve by selling cars in china sure um you know, and, and especially now with China kind of cutting it down to size. So it's, you know, it's, it's, there are a lot of things that could be going on here. And a lot of people are speculating about what's going on. But one thing that's obviously going on is that Tesla has fallen out of favor in a big way. And that some of these metrics that appeared like they might be met, even if with difficulty now appear to be, you know, questionable in terms of how Tesla will achieve them. Yeah, it was certainly interesting how quickly they were able to set up shop in Shanghai. They, I mean, he went that idea went from inception, you know, to him first mentioning it on the on that conference call when he said there's this little place called Shanghai or whatever he said, 
And the, yeah. the turnaround time to getting the land, getting the financing, getting the building erected and producing there was absolutely breakneck. It was like 12 months or something, which is an obscene amount of time, an obscenely short amount of time to just to just burst onto the scene in China. You know, it wasn't like he was just moving to Texas. I mean, it's the world's largest auto market, right? And and obviously, you know, the government uh, controls everything in China. And so, I you know, I couldn't help but think that you did everybody a service by asking, all right, like, why are they so willing to play ball with him so quickly? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's clear. They were eager to secure Tesla's investment into that factory. And, um, but the plant is now built, right? And the production is growing. And uh, Tesla now needs China just as much, if not more, than China needs Tesla. And China now has the leverage in this relationship. And I'm sure that Tesla is doing all it can to solve these political problems. But if China is determined to cut Tesla down to size, that is really fundamentally bearish for Tesla's prospects there. Now, I'm not saying it's bearish for the share price. We can talk about that more later when we talk about maybe cryptocurrency, right? Um, But in terms of an auto company, I think you realistically have to understand that Tesla is just going to be one among many, and it may not even be the preeminent EV manufacturer in China. That is going to go to one of the Chinese companies, one or more of them. So uh, especially if this all keeps continuing. Uh, you know, and add to this, Chris, the it's just hard to comprehend, but you have Elon Musk involved with Starlink also, which many believe is has... Um, contracts involving you know national security and spacex which clearly is involved with some things involving nasa and potentially national security and yet this guy is in china doing business and that has to create dangers tensions lots of issues to be resolved and thought about both on the chinese side and one would hope one would hope on the you know on the united states side He's not just doing business. I mean, the change in attitude is so, was was really. I mean, I even pulled away from watching the, you know, minutia of the Tesla story for the better part of I don't know the last six months or, you know, but for talking to Mark and talking to Tesla charts and guys like that and watching the headlines. But I wasn't really like balls deep in it like I was you know a year or two ago just because I'm working on other projects and whatever. But what I'll say is the shift in attitude was so stark. It was so noticeable. And if you know a little bit about China, you know, which obviously I'm not a uh, CIA intelligence expert on China, but I've I've worked on a number of U.S. listed China based companies helping expose uh, fraud. I've worked with Chinese nationals. So I feel like I have a, probably a better understanding of the ethos of the Chinese government than most people. When you see the Global Times come out and it's one negative article after the next and you know you know the global times is in essence the the mouthpiece for the chinese communist party and all of a sudden you know it's day after day after day you know that shanghai auto protest happened and then all of a sudden it was you know they were they were bad mouthing tesla for uh you know their poor quality on the brakes and saying right. that they were being arrogant. And now then there was this thing that they were going to try to expand in Shanghai and they're not letting them expand anymore. 
and then it whipsaws back. You know, Musk has does this like about face on Bitcoin, and then all of a sudden it whipsaws back with this other article that's like, oh yeah, no expansions are taking place at Shanghai. It's like, what the hell is going on? What what is going on over there? You can't help but well, wonder. Well, you know the. There was the adjacent tract of land in Shanghai that Tesla did not bid on, okay, which was interesting. When Tesla says it's, you know, it's, it's expansion plans are on track, I think it means its original plans to expand production to 500,000 cars per year in China. It's, it was very, another Weasley worded Tesla statement there. But it was interesting that Tesla didn't bid on the land, which would have come with another revenue requirement it would have added to the amount of revenue tesla had to generate every year and maybe tesla i think became afraid it wouldn't be able to do it the um just in terms of u.s china relations i would encourage people listening here to go over to dimitri kofinas's show called hidden forces and listen to his interview with niall ferguson about niall ferguson's latest book which is about pandemics, but they discuss U.S.-China relations, and they discuss it in a very intelligent and deep way. And um, if you don't count as one of the huge Tesla business risks the deterioration of U.S.-Chinese relations and where all that's going, I, you know, I think you're blinding yourself to a real business reality there. Yeah, you mentioned uh, before about Musk's little uh, foray into cryptocurrencies here. And, uh, you know, I don't even think we've ever talked about this at all because I think he put the Bitcoin on the balance sheet after the last time we talked. And certainly that's when I noticed uh, what, you know, maybe I'm just imagining things, but that's when I noticed that next article from the Global Times saying, oh, no, 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 everything's fine after he came out and, uh, you know, said, all right, well, we're not taking Bitcoin anymore. What the hell is going on? I mean, what do you make of this whole thing? What do you make of from, you know, him putting the Bitcoin on the balance sheet then to, you know, two months later now going through this thing where he's saying, oh, well, we're not going to take it anymore, but we're not going to sell it, but we might sell it, but we're not going to sell it. And then, and, and the thing with Dogecoin, it's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I don't know to what extent. This is a question. Keep it in the background, but I have no idea. To what extent is China involved in any of the cryptocurrency? We know there's a huge amount of Bitcoin mining that goes on in China, right? We know that when a coal mine shut down because it was flooded sometime back, one third of the Bitcoin mining went offline, which tells you, you know, here's a few things that are clear. First of all, as you know, my friend CoverDrive has said, Bitcoin mining draws energy off the grid, period, and it adds zero other than an mental catastrophe particularly if you are concerned about you know co2 emissions is just deceiving themselves and everyone else okay arc invest tried to come up with this argument about how bitcoin is going to lead to more renewable energies utter nonsense so elon musk knew all this he knew that the bitcoin mining just for the tesla 1.5 billion dollar purchase of bitcoin would undo you know a lot, a year's worth, who knows how much. Some people have calculated just a whole lot of the alleged CO2 emission savings from producing Tesla cars, which are very overstated, in my opinion. So um, it is. it was weird that Tesla did the Bitcoin mining and uh, added Bitcoin to its balance sheet in the first place, right? They had to know it's an environmental catastrophe. 
and it was approved by its audit committee, right? According to yeah, Tesla's release, <laughs> you know, and who and that's Robin Denholm, who's the alleged financial expert on the audit committee. Yeah, and she's Antonio the one that said, she's the one who said he uses Twitter wisely. Antonio Gracias, Hiro Mizuno, James Murdoch. I think they're all on the audit committee. Um, I don't know who else is. Steve Jurvetson is still listed, but he's not a, a director anymore. So it's not clear to me whether he's still on the audit committee. But every one of those people ought to be painfully, completely aware of what a environmental catastrophe Bitcoin is. And yet they approved this investment, which just goes to show you that it's Elon Musk running the show altogether. Now, the, the thing, you know, now, now Tesla has pivoted to Dogecoin. Interesting. Um, Paolo Santos, who writes at Seeking Alpha, published an article, I think yesterday, talking about the great mysteries uh, of Dogecoin and Bitcoin. And what he talked about is how Tesla's involvement, excuse me, Elon Musk's involvement, which Dogecoin goes way back three years to September of 2018, so two and a half years where he was emailing one of the founders, uh, Jackson Palmer, and they evidently had a good relationship for a while. And if you look back at history, this interest in Dogecoin is not new for Elon Musk. He's been touting it for years and at one point said it was the best cryptocurrency, even though it's a joke. Okay, It was developed in three hours as a joke. Okay, So what is going on here? Uh, I don't know, but what Santos says Santos asked this question, why doesn't Tesla introduce its own cryptocurrency? Now, Santos, like me, is very skeptical about cryptocurrencies. And I know there are a lot of intelligent people who argue that there's real value to them. I don't see it. I don't I haven't waded deeply enough into the entire cryptocurrency debate to have a really informed opinion about that. I, but there's clearly not room for all these competing cryptocurrencies Correct. that pop up daily, okay? And you now have the cryptocurrency market approaching, I don't know, $3 billion, which is like almost the size of the municipal bond market, okay? So it's be, it's a three huge trillion, amount of money. $3 trillion. Poor, I'm sorry, I said billion, trillion. Yeah. So that $3 trillion. It's astonishing. Um, but it, what, what Santos says is, look, I think – he says, I think that cryptocurrencies ultimately were zero. However, that said, if if Tesla introduced one, we are, you know, we're well past the era of financial fundamentals. And I, I'm confident in telling you that in terms of financial fundamentals, Tesla as an auto company is grossly overvalued. It has nowhere to go but down, way down as an auto company. Okay. As we know, all its profit comes from regulatory credits and Bitcoin trading. And if you strip those out, it's uh, it's still losing lots of money, you know, and has lost over its lifetime uh, more than $5 billion. So um, maybe more maybe more than $6 billion, even with the recent profits, which are, as we know, entirely the consequence of the, of the emissions credits that it's received. And those are drying up as more and more manufacturers are forced to manufacture EVs. They don't need those credits anymore. But uh, if... You know, Santos says if Tesla, with Elon Musk's celebrity status, introduced its own cryptocurrency, it might become one of the leading currencies. It might surpass Bitcoin. Right. And, you know, given the insanity of markets right now, given how investors want to follow people like uh, Dave Portnoy, 
with his barstool sports following, there, there is just enough, there is so much idiotic investing going on, utterly detached from anything that is traditional finance. Maybe that's right. And that's why I say, you know, Tesla is a dangerous short in that respect with Musk's obvious interest in cryptocurrency and with the fact that those the cryptocurrency is very lightly regulated, right? Very lightly regulated. I don't think it's even considered a security by the SEC. Anything goes with cryptocurrency just about right now until, you know, the great bath comes and so many <laughs> retail investors lose their shirt on this thing. Um, so, you know, who knows if Tesla tomorrow said we're introducing the Tesla coin and it's going to have Elon Musk's image on it. And we're going to keep, you know, the first five billion coins we issue for us, you know, who, who knows what the hell you could oh, have yeah. happen with that's Tesla. probably the stock in terms of like, in terms of strategic business alternatives for them, that's probably at the top of the list. Like it wouldn't a, surprise me if that wasn't on a slide one of us deck somewhere in the uh, Tesla boardroom. Like, man, we got to figure something out because we can't make it money would be great for stock pumping. Yeah, it would be great for stock pumping. It would be a great move for stock pumping. So I don't know, you know, I don't know how that's Santos's theory. It seems scarily plausible, especially in the in the markets we're in right now. You know, did you see Dave, Dave Portnoy yesterday introducing the coin that he's behind? And uh, he said, look, you know, if it's a Ponzi, at least get in on the ground floor. Yeah, uh, that's where we're at. Yes, this may be a Ponzi scheme. I don't know, but I'm promoting it. And if it's a Ponzi scheme, well, the, okay, just get in on the ground floor. That's how you make money with a Ponzi scheme. And that's, then I even saw, the I saw state Jim, of markets. Jim Chanos tweeted out this morning, you know, hey, just a reminder, it's still illegal to uh, to pump, to knowingly pump fraudulent investments, a.k.a. a Ponzi scheme. And then he wrote, even today, you know. <laughs> even today. Like, just yeah, in but, case but what Dave Portnoy said is, Dave said, I don't know. He said, I don't know if it's a Ponzi scheme. So, you know, he's saying, I unknowingly am pumping it. Right. You know, they have, it's a perfect defense. It's, you know, we, of course, as we, you and I both know, the sad state of financial regulation in the United States over the past four years. Well, is, is, it's is, more than just financial regulation. I mean, when you're talking about all of this money with nowhere to go and all these unsophisticated investors. Like, where does all this hot money come from? I mean, the hot the, the, the hot money literally has rolled directly off the Fed printing press or the digital printing press or whatever they're doing, move, moving commas over in Excel uh, spreadsheet cells somewhere. It has come directly from that, and it has, they literally have flooded the country with money. And that's why, you know, you see this great imbalance between the money supply and the amount of products that are currently available in the country because nobody's producing anything yet everybody's got cash to buy everything and so yeah. you know the money needs somewhere to go so it's literally it's pouring out of people's asses there's so much of it and, it, and that's why you wind up with a you know trillion dollar bubble in cryptocurrencies and you wind up i mean there are so many equities that i watch on a daily basis i could probably name two dozen of them off the top of my head that I'm, I know are 100% worth zero. They are quintessential pump and dumps, and they're trading on the NASDAQ, they're trading on the NYSE under the guise of having technology or under the guise of being EV companies or whatever. Just zeros, not even fucking close. Just a, not even worth the cash, 
you know, not even worth the, the effort to disband them and put them through administration or bankruptcy. And, the, you know, the market is just flooded with them. So I don't even know what it's going to take for that tide to, to come out because there, there's so much cash and there doesn't seem to be, I, I don't know, it doesn't seem to me like there's going to be any end to it, does it? Yeah, well, <clears throat> a couple things. First, as you know, there are intense debates among very bright people about monetary policy. And uh, let's just say that our monetary policy right now along with a lot of the rest of the world, is unprecedented. And anybody who pretends they know how it ends is pretending. And, um, right. it's, it, you know, it's, it, but there's a, a lot of reasons to believe that you should be worried about, about a bad ending. But fiscal policy, too. Let's, you know, Congress is, gives out trillions of dollars as if it's nothing. And people receive these stimulus checks and they go gamble with them. And you have a, a flood of this retail investing that's entirely based on momentum and social sentiment, okay? And the social sentiment has become far, far, far more important than any kind of fundamental analysis or thought about whether, you know, where the profits will come from. And, um, you know, uh, it's, we live in, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime, never. And there are people who say, yeah, well, you know, deficits just aren't a problem they're, they're, that's just a lot of noise maybe it is i don't i don't you know i'm, the, the, I'm not smart comical, enough to say the but. comical thing about the proposed spending is this idea that they're somehow going to be able to offset it in a meaningful way with tax revenue and when you look yeah. at the amount of spending that the administration is proposing versus what they stand to gain from taxing it goes back to the question of why you know if we're just going to rely on printing the money why are we even taxing to begin with you know you can free that yeah. money up and, and let it uh create a more vibrant economy right i mean it's just right. it's nobody even cares nobody understands it um and it is definitely worrisome let's go back to tesla though um so where do you think uh what's your theory on his about face on bitcoin why do you think he changed his mind? I, I, I am not a psychiatrist. Elon Musk's mind remains almost impenetrable to me. Uh, I, I don't know why he changed his mind. Maybe he was getting some ESG heat, you know, this environmental, social, and governance investing. Because for the Apollos and the Black Rocks of the world to be making noises no matter how make-believe about their esg investing and then for tesla to be saying oh we think it's uh, we're gonna ha have a currency hedge with bitcoin which is so environmentally destructive enormously destruct i mean you it, it's impossible to exaggerate how destructive it is maybe they said you know what uh elon you can't do this anymore you you need to you need to cool it with the bitcoin it's terrible so now you'll hear him making noises about trying to find renewable sources of uh, energy for more efficient cryptocurrency mining, et cetera. Uh, maybe that's it. I can't think of anything else um, that makes sense to me. You know, it came, maybe the it came around the same time well, that he proposed uh, Tesla getting into like a different, I forget what it was, like a different carbon credit market. And then yeah. right around the same time, he also proposed a carbon tax on his. And, right. and, and you, 
it felt like the three things kind of worked together. I just couldn't figure out what what he's getting at. Yeah, it's hard to be it's hard to be lobbying for um, carbon credits, right, and uh, a tax on carbon while at the same time you have you're buying Bitcoin. Okay, that just it's really tough to do. And as we know, subsidy hunting and crippling mandates on your competitors are the two secret sauces Tesla has always had. And so maybe it decided it had to stick with its strengths and Bitcoin was going to be too much of a distraction and it served its purpose. Tesla's made a huge gain on it. It's unclear to me even today whether Tesla has unloaded more Bitcoin since the end of um, the first quarter. I, you know, there was a tweet suggesting it had and then a clarification saying it hadn't and who knows what to believe. They're all, you know, ambiguous. But, um, yeah, so I, I th- that's uh, that makes sense to me, Chris. All right, before we talk about your return to the ring as a as an attorney, I want to ask you what you make of all of the recent. I mean, one thing we haven't talked about because it's been months is the the full self driving beta has come and gone here over the last. Uh, it it disappeared almost as quickly as it appeared. This last full self driving beta it was out for I think forty eight hours. And then it got yeah. uh, royally shit on by everybody on social media. And then it, Musk put out a tweet 48 hours later saying, hey, we've got a couple more tweaks. Uh, we're going to pull yeah. this off the market now. What do you make of of that? And what do you make of this? I don't know. It, I mean, these have been constantly recurring, but it feels like now the there has been an uptick in the number of questionable accidents with Teslas. Most recently... This morning, I saw that a, a Model X had hit a Chinese policeman and killed him in China. Yeah. And then there's been all these other incidents. The one in Houston. There was one in Southern California. So uh, what's... One in Pennsylvania County. Was that Pennsylvania or Tennessee? I can't remember. Anyway. I um, don't remember. Yeah, it hit a police car. Yeah, in China today, uh, a Tesla... Or Monday, so yesterday, it's a Tesla evidently struck two policemen not in a car they were on foot i believe and killed one of them and um it appears you know you never know that the tesla was on autopilot clearly there have just been a a a drumbeat of tesla autopilot or full self-driving accidents and the ntsb has expressed concern about this and is investigating some of these accidents and it's probably going to need to add more to its list but you and i and others have stood by and watched for years while the nhtsa which has the power to stop this and shut it down has just sat on its hands and wanted to do nothing and it's led a lot of people to conclude and i think maybe quite rightly that tesla has some immunity from law enforcement. Uh, Now, recently, we have word that the California Department of Motor Vehicles is investigating uh, autopilot and full self-driving. One of, maybe one, maybe both, I don't recall, but they're starting to ask questions about it and the way it's marketed. And um, it's, it's so reckless. The amount of gaslighting that goes on by Elon Musk is stunning, where he keeps claiming that Teslas are the safest cars and you're much safer with autopilot than without it. And he distorts the statistics. He tortures them, as has been written about by people like Ed Niedermeyer and others, and uh, gets away with it. And the business press and financial press, being largely ignorant of these things, just uh, promotes the idea that Teslas are safe. And Elon Musk uh, 
you know, with his hands-free driving and his million robo-taxis leads a lot of his customers to believe the cars are far safer than they are. Uh, you know, to me, it's just grossly irresponsible. Elon Musk has blood on his hands. I mean that, I mean that in, you know, in metaphorically, I hold him personally responsible for many of these deaths that have occurred because people believed him and trusted him. And, you know, con men, which is short for confidence men, trade in the trust, the gullible trust of others. And that's what Elon Musk trades in. And it's a scandal. It's disgraceful. But on it goes. Whether the United States regulatory authorities will finally be moved to act remains to be seen. Whether the civil cases now pending against Tesla and piling up by victims or families of victims of these crashes um, bring some change remains to be seen. Uh, but it's a, it's a sad and irresponsible thing that Tesla does and continues to do by calling this product autopilot and by selling full self-driving, which does not exist, and probably without LiDAR, which Tesla has said it doesn't need. and It's called people who use it stupid. Uh, it can't exist without LiDAR, and in all events, is years and years away. And there are a lot of, you know, Ed Niedermeyer is part of an organization now that um, is trying to promote safe uh, you know, safety in, in making these kinds of claims. You're going to retard the entire adoption of autonomous driving technologies by being irresponsible early on with claims you make about them. You know, it's going to hurt the entire effort to make driving more safe. And that's what Elon Musk is doing, of course, while, you know, pretending to be the savior of the planet. What is it going to take for regulators in the U.S. to wise up? I mean, I feel like I probably have asked you this question every time I've talked to you. I mean, one would have thought with everything we've seen that it would have happened long ago. Maybe right. what it takes is a Tesla crashing into a school bus. Maybe what it takes is for some important politician to be struck by a Tesla on autopilot. I, I don't know what it takes. Maybe it's already happening and the investigations underway are going to lead to some kind of crackdown. Maybe the constant, finally, uh, uh, you know, string of news stories about people being hurt by autopilot or full self-driving and killed will lead to, as it appears to be finally now, a slower, uh, a more, more of a reluctance by Tesla buyers to pay for these products. And, um, you know, and, and that may cut into, because they're like almost 100% margin for Tesla when it sells right. full self-driving, right? Um, yeah, anything you, you know, sell it, that it, doesn't it, exist is like 100% margin, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my car has very advanced driving technologies, but I I have to look at the road <clears throat> to you. <clears throat> First of all, I like the, uh, I like some of them. The fact that I can adjust the distance I follow the car next to me with a with a cruise control that's adaptive that's really helpful with lane change warnings and things like that but to use the autopilot and to use those features unless I have my eyes on the road it'll shut them off it has a camera that looks into my eyes and will disable the system and you know that it seems to me to be at least an essential safety feature Tesla doesn't have that it has a camera there but it doesn't work it doesn't monitor the driver's eyes and there's all sorts of defeat mechanisms for, you know, the fact that you have to have pressure on the steering wheel. You know that. It's just inherently dangerous. And um, 
plaintiff's attorneys all across the country are making that that pitch. I don't know what it takes, Chris. Neither, no, no one can know. It should I mean, have happened long ago. It hasn't. It's laughable how far behind they are, you know, from companies like Waymo who are really working on, you know, true level five autonomy. And like you said, without yeah. the implementation of LIDAR and without some major changes, I mean, not only are they stuck at level two, I think the California DMV said, but they don't have the tools or the infrastructure to to make it to level five with what they've been selling. It doesn't appear, you know, so the yeah, years no, no, and years don't. and years of claims that these things are going right. to be ready for full self-driving and the billions of dollars that the company has pulled in under the guise of being able to do that, that's not, that doesn't appear like it's going to prove to be some, you know, overshot or slight misstatement. It looks like it's just going to be completely false. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's billions. It's hundreds of millions. It may approach a billion. I don't know. I haven't checked, but well, it's a doing, lot of money. I was talking about total sales, billions. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, Musk claimed a few years ago that the cars now had all the hardware necessary for full self-driving, all the hardware necessary. And if he has to walk that back, there's some huge live. I mean, he will have to walk that back. And there's huge liability associated with that, I think, potential. But... Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's it's a joke. You're, anybody that believes that the, the Tesla car they're buying today is going to be capable of full self-driving at level five is kidding themselves. And even Musk has tried to soften the definition of what full self-driving means, you know, completely inconsistent with earlier statements he's made. So. And this is Watch. this is with the company with a you know five hundred billion dollar market cap and the market at all time euphoric highs and still. The public glazed over and believing everything. I mean, could you imagine if one of those things starts to kind of come in? If the, you know, if we see a five percent drawdown in the market, if we see you know a, another senator step up, or we see a regulator say something. I mean, it's just it just feels like a bubble just waiting for the pin of reality to prick it. Well, let's be careful. It's felt like that for years, and you know, it's always something new. And tomorrow it may be you know Tesla coin. So. Be careful. All you right. Know, onward, yeah. onward. Let's talk about your, because um, <clears throat> I have a couple of questions here for my patrons that, right. uh, that I want to ask you. But first, let's talk about your return to the ring as a trial lawyer. And this is really what uh, the genesis of us wanting to get together today and talk was to, uh, I read your update that you posted on the GoFundMe page for Skabushka. And uh, I think I reached out to you and said, man, this would be great if you could just explain this on the podcast uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I'd like people to have access to uh, to be able to donate if they'd like. And two, to kind of understand directly from the horse's mouth what the hell is going on and uh, and where we are kind of in layman's terms. And so uh, take it away. Let us know what's up. All right. So I'll try to be as brief as I can. A lot of people are familiar with Skabushka, who was on Twitter. His real name is Randeep Hothi, a really fine human being whom I've had the pleasure to meet now several times, of course. And back in 2019, Tesla got a ex parte, that is without notice, TRO against him, a temporary restraining order, claiming that he had been trespassing, stalking, harassing, and endangering Tesla employees, Okay, which is a sort of definition of workplace violence under the California statute. 
we started a GoFundMe page to try to help Hothi defend against these claims. We were able to raise a, a lot of money, like $118,000. And we were able to hire California counsel. Uh, uh, the lead counsel is a guy named Gil Sperline. He's a First Amendment expert. And uh, I've worked with him now over several years and a true pleasure to work with and a really smart guy. And what we did is we went to the court and said, look, Tesla has accused Hothi of doing these things. And it has all sorts of audio and video recordings, both at its factory where he allegedly hit somebody with his car and on the highway where he was um, allegedly swerved dangerously into a Tesla manufacturer Model 3 with cameras mounted on the roof that was out there doing autonomy day testing just in a few days in advance of the uh, of the April 2019 autonomy day. And we said, how about um, Tesla turns these recordings over because that'll that'll show if 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 he was doing these horrible things, it'll be right there on the video, right. endless video of all this. And Tesla said, oh, no, no, judge, this is an expedited proceeding. No discoveries allowed. Can you know that? And the judge said, well, actually, you know, there's some things that that Hothi has asked for that would normally we would allow them to have in a in a typical case but this is an expedited case but this particular request for the recordings that seems really relevant that's going to decide the case it could so yeah you got to turn them over and tesla then said no judge change your mind you've got it all wrong and and by the way we need to keep the press out of that evidentiary hearing where you decide whether to issue a permanent injunction and the judge said no 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 you got to turn those over and I'm not excluding anybody from the courtroom. And at that point, Tesla dropped its lawsuit. Uh, and it, but you know, it tipped off one of its propaganda organs to smear Hothi on the way out by claiming that, uh, that Tesla skeptics had been harassing the employees who were involved and that it was important to protect their privacy and confidentiality. And that's why Tesla didn't want the recordings produced. So, Okay, so Hothi has now been smeared all over the press with these accusations, and there's nothing he can do because if you make an accusation like that in a legal pleading, it's it's privileged. Okay, it's not you can't attack it with a defamation claim. Right. We have a, right. we want to you know we don't want people uh, having collateral litigation over things in lawsuits, and so that's one of the exceptions. But then a few weeks later, Elon Musk in an email exchange with uh aaron greenberg i think is, is greenspan I was last it's aaron greenspan excuse me of plain sight <clears throat> um says that hothi is amongst people who are who have actively harassed okay tesla employees actively harassed them and who you know came within inches of killing several tesla employees use the plural they came within inches of killing um he, I think he said Te Hothi almost killed Tesla employees because what was a sideswipe when Hothi hit one of our people could easily have been a death with six inches of difference. So now he has accused, with the lawsuit dropped by Tesla, okay, he accused uh, Hothi of basically criminal violations, right? That's um, – you know, that's harassment and stalking. It's reckless driving. It's assault with a deadly weapon. They're all criminal violations under California law. So Hothi sued for defamation. And at the time he sued, he said, by the way, we were communicating through Tesla's attorneys, not through um, 
Elon Musk's attorneys because Musk wasn't in the case yet. But we, we told the Tesla attorney who was communicating with us, look, if he will just say, look, I misunderstood the facts. I've now looked at the videos and I was wrong and I apologize. Then we'll drop the lawsuit. No payment necessary, nothing. We got no response. Then Tesla, you know, hired Alex Spiro and the Quinn Emanuel law firm. Excuse me, Musk hired them to defend the case, the same people who defended the Vern Unsworth case. And they filed what's called an anti first they disqualified the judge who was hearing the case. His name was Avilio Grillo. And they said, This judge in California is biased against us, didn't give any facts or reason, but in California you're allowed a free strike of a judge. That was news to me. So a new judge was assigned, Judge Julia Spain. Tesla filed what's called an anti-slap motion, saying, you know, what Elon Musk said was a matter of public discussion and public interest, and under California law. That kind of stuff is immune from a defamation claim. You know, he was talking about things that are of great concern to the public. And uh, and then it said, and by the way, even if he weren't, it's uh, what, what Musk said is true. Uh, and even if it's not true, it's just the kind of opinion that's protected under the First Amendment. So they made all these arguments, a lot of different arguments in this anti-slap motion they filed with like hundreds of pages, 400 or so, I think, of evidence. I when I entered the case as a pro hoc vice attorney, that is, I asked the California court to let me um, represent Hothi along with Gil Sperline because he was he's a California lawyer. And they let me in, even though I'm a Texas lawyer. That's kind of a typical courtesy that's granted if you have local counsel. So Gil and I are the are the attorneys of record. And to defend against the anti-slap motion, we had help from another attorney who's on Twitter as, uh, I think, Dissolve Special Committee. And um, a, a very capable guy named Michael Smith, who's an appellate attorney, because we needed a little more horsepower to do the legal research behind all this. We don't have a huge law firm. It's just us. And we um, there was an intense amount of briefing that went on, and the court handed down an opinion at the end of January, basically you know, thumping Tesla soundly on every one of the arguments. Tesla, I keep saying Tesla. Elon, is there any difference? Elon Musk on all the arguments it made and um, and saying, no, this is not a matter of public interest. You know, yes, autonomous driving is of public interest, but you weren't talking about that. You were accusing a single person of criminal violations in California. And, and he has presented enough evidence to make a prima facie case that he can prevail on the merits. And so I'm denying your motion. And, um, and at that point, the uh, Quinn Emanuel firm and Alex Spiro filed. They didn't even try to go to a hearing to persuade the judge to change her mind. They said, well, we'll just appeal this. So they have filed their appeal papers now. And now the appellate court will conduct what's called a de novo review. Sometimes when you go up on appeal, the appellate court will say, we're going to give great deference to the findings of fact that the trial court made. But in this case, in anti-slap law in California, what the appellate court does is it considers all the evidence that was presented anew. It doesn't rely on the trial court's opinion or findings of fact. It reconsiders the entire case in terms of the facts and the law. So we'll have to go through that process with a panel of three appellate judges. So it you know, several months ago, all our funds were exhausted. Uh, I don't charge anything for the case. I'm doing my work pro bono. But, you know, my the Gil Spurline is paid. Michael Smith is paid. And they deserve to be paid. And they've both, you know, given us discounted rates. And they've both been very careful with their billing. And I'm sure the amount they've billed is way less than what uh, 
Musk's attorneys have charged him. And we, we're out of money. And so we went back to GoFundMe. We, I had unpaid legal bills to Gill of, I don't know, seven or $8,000, you know, more than we had in the account. And so we, we have the GoFundMe effort to try to raise more money. Some really, truly wonderful and generous people have chipped in, some of them for large amounts. Uh, Randy Pothy himself put 5000 in, and there have been some other large contributions, not quite that magnitude, but really helpful contributions. And some for smaller amounts, lots for $420. Some tried to do $420.69, but I, th- I don't think GoFundMe would accept the, the final two digits. Uh, even Kubico, you know him from Twitter, uh, I think he made a Bitcoin donation. He went and... and found somebody who could, I think it was you actually, Chris, who helped him um, figure out a way to, to donate via Bitcoin because GoFundMe doesn't accept Bitcoin. So there was some engineering required. But in all events, uh, so we've been able to raise some more money. I haven't checked the recent figures, but we're approaching another $50,000 that we have. And that will fund us through this appeal. And because, you know, we've done a lot of the hard work already to to fend off the arguments that were made at the trial level. And I don't think they're going to be able to come up with any new arguments at the appellate level. And it will carry us into, if, if we prevail on the appeal, which of course I hope we do, and regardless of what happens, we will let everybody know how the case is proceeding. One thing we've agreed to do is never to have any non-disclosure agreement. We won't sign a non-disclosure agreement. We're going to have full transparency for the people who've helped us. And, you know, just so you know, Randy Pothy is looking around for a charity that we can donate any recovery we have to net of, you know, attorney's fees. So that would be nice, too. It's hard to find one. You know, we have people from all over the political spectrum who have um, supported this effort. So we're looking for something that would be non-controversial with people, you know, anybody who's supporting us, maybe something to do with, you know, uh, safety and autonomous vehicles, maybe something to do with the First Amendment. But we're looking around for that. Uh, anyway, we, you know, we've been able to raise close to 50,000. It's been hugely helpful. We can now pay the outstanding bills. It would it's not going to be nearly enough to carry us through a trial, because if you go back to trial, you're going to have discovery. You're going to have motions, you know, where they object to producing documents. You're going to have fights about that. You're going to have to take depositions. You're going to have to hire at least an expert or two. Um, and then it, it, the expense mounts up. But for now, we're, we're in business. We have enough to survive this appeal. And um, if we get back to the trial level, we have a little bit more there. And um, it's been really helpful. Any donation anyone can make is very much appreciated even if it's five or ten dollars every little bit helps and i promise we're spending it as carefully as we can and uh, we'll continue to do that yeah so the gofundme name is skabushka defense fund so you can look up gofundme and skabushka defense fund uh also i'll take the link here to the campaign and i'll put it in the podcast description so if people want, I appreciate that. Yeah, people want to link right to it. They can just uh, go right through the podcast description if they. Uh, so what are you guys? Uh, what are you hoping for? What's a what's a positive outcome for you? Well, it's been a positive outcome already. Okay, I'm, we we now can pay our bills, and I think we can get through the appellate process, and we have enough money to go back to trial court if we prevail on the appeal. It would be really helpful to have another fifty thousand or more, but. Um, we're grateful for what we have. 
you know, I, it's not like I have a particular dollar amount in mind. I know the amount we now have is not going to be enough to get us through trial. Another 50,000 or so would be really, really helpful simply because of the huge expense you have in trying a case, especially where the other side is expert at, right. you know, ob- obstruction, which they are. With Delay, unlim- unlimited obstruction, resources, it, too. Yeah, they, I mean, that's right. We're, we're up against the either second or third richest man in the world, right? And he, he you know, he never apologizes. You know, he never, he, he's just, um, and this is what I think is so important about this case. He has destroyed the reputation of a truly good person by lying about him and accusing him of crimes. And Tesla has refused to produce evidence which would show whether that were true. And, and of course, Randy Pothy emphatically says it is not true. Those are lies. And, but he just insouciantly is willing to destroy his reputation. And then he had the nerve to file a declaration in the trial court saying, oh, well, I was relying on what other people were telling me when I said these things. You mean, Elon, you haven't even gone back and looked at the videos yourself when we have told you that they're lies, when you have fought to keep it from us in court? You haven't looked yourself? Either he's lying in that declaration or it just shows you what a completely reckless, irresponsible scum of a human being he is. And that he is a human scum. And it's important to stand up against a scum to at some point say, look, you may be rich. You may be famous. You may be a cult figure. You may be a charismatic cult leader who has all these adoring followers who will do anything and everything you ask them to do. Okay, you may be able to get the Omar Kazis of the world to do your dirty laundry anytime you want. You may be able to get the ignorant people in the business press to write all this garbage and nonsense about you and your company. But you are not free to go destroy another human being's reputation by promulgating lies about them. And that's what this case is about. Fucking A. Take my wallet. That's all I can say. And hopefully you're available to represent me. At some point when uh, I need legal representation, which, of course, will just be an inevitability. <laughs> but Jesus. Let's hope not. Thank you for the update on that. I have a couple of, and I would encourage everybody listening, check out the link. I'm going to put it in my podcast description uh, so you guys can just link right to it if you'd like. Um, yeah, that's about, uh, that's 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 quite a bit of fire from you, uh, Mr. Skeptic, who are usually mild-mannered and soft-spoken. And uh, so I can tell you're passionate about it. And certainly... 100%. I agree with you. You know, just because you're the world's second richest man doesn't mean you should be able to walk around and fucking bully people. And this is the kind of stuff that, like, I've dealt with for years when, you know, in the world of short selling, where you call out inconvenient truths to people that have a lot of money and they can put all of these resources to work to try to slow you down, to try to discourage you. But the one thing they don't ever seem to have on their side is the truth. And at the end of the day, yeah. though, you have to go through hell sometimes. The truth, more often than not, wins out. And, and hopefully that'll be the case this time. A couple of tiny points, Chris. First, you know, people say, oh, you're, you're just talking your book. You're a sh- big short seller. My short position in Tesla is tiny and inconsequential. I haven't touched Tesla for a long time. I have tuned it out. I think it's an impossible short. I have warned people endlessly about shorting it. Just the idea today of this Tesla coin and how a failing auto company can still get, you know, pump its stock endlessly should give everybody pause about shorting it. I don't, I have nothing to gain really of any consequence by Tesla going broke. So, you know, 
That's number one. But number two, I feel that this it's important to fight this kind of bullying from this kind of human being that is that is so insect like. And I am willing to work for free and I will work all the way for free to vindicate, uh, you know, Randy Pothy in this case and restore his reputation. So those two points. Thank you. Thank you. If you will kindly uh, indulge some of my listeners who have been submitting questions over the last uh, 48 hours, many of whom are super excited that you're back on. I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask you, which you can answer in abbreviated uh, format, uh, because I know we're, uh, we're well past an hour here. But I would like to, on their behalf, get some of these out to you. And if you don't, if you don't know the answer, obviously, just pass on it and we'll go to the next one. Do you, do you mind doing that quickly? I don't. And, and I, I... I hope you understand there's a lot of things I just am not knowledgeable enough to have strong opinions about, but let's go. You know, I know exactly what that feels like. (laughs) All right. Um, I, the first question basically amounts to, you know, how, like, is there any type of time horizon that you can conceptualize where this house of cards that Musk has essentially with keeping so many of these balls in the air simultaneously, you know, what could be the, the, the wrench that finally makes its way into the gears or how long do you think he can sustain? I mean, not just Tesla, but, but everything, the, you know, the entire empire. Yeah. Well, as an auto company, I think it's going to be clear that Tesla's growth is far less than so many people have counted on. And that, that I think that'll be clear within the next year, year and a half, okay? Uh, because of what we've talked about in China, among other things, because in Europe, Tesla's sales have flatlined, it, and it's facing an onslaught of really good competition. Everybody's now forced into the EV market, and Tesla's number one revenue source, which is regulatory credits, is drying up. It needs that, that regul- those credits to put it from loss to gain. It's the only way it's profitable is with those. And those are drying up because everybody's been forced in. So, but I, I, I have to warn you again, Tesla is not an automobile company. It is a religion. And I just don't know how you short a religion. If we see Tesla coin, if we, you know, Elon Musk is a religious leader. He will come up with new articles of faith and the faithful will buy them. And the, and the analysts we've seen that, there's just no end to the dis- dishonesty of analysts when it comes to Tesla. So I, I, I continue to caution against shorting Tesla for those reasons. But if, you're, if your thesis is it's going to be valued like an auto company, I think it's going to be clear that the growth people are counting on just isn't there and that the re- regulatory credit income that is c- counting, that has that sustained itself with, just is going to evaporate within the next year. So, you know, Q, say Q2 next year, it'll, all those things will be clear. Does that mean it's a good short? No. Got it. Uh, Next question. Do you know how much of Elon's personal debt is secured with stock? And uh, at what price could that be an issue? That's a question I don't know. I don't think, I think that there hasn't, you know, people say how rich Elon Musk is. I don't know how they can know because we, we really don't know how much debt he has. And um, what we do know is this, you know, you want to talk about income inequality in the United States. This guy doesn't pay taxes. He has very little income. What he does is he borrows money 
on margin accounts and pledges his stock, which gets endlessly pumped up. So when you borrow money, you don't pay any income tax on that. He's borrowed hundreds of millions and he's paid zero tax on any of that. Okay. Now he'll eventually have to pay the money back, but as long as he can keep pumping up the stock to stratospheric levels, it's, it's a hell of a way to uh, become fabulously wealthy without paying any income tax. That's the name of the game for him. You want real tax reform in this country. Somebody ought to look into doing something about that kind of business model, that kind of income tax model. So, but yeah, I, there's not adequate disclosure for any of us to know exactly how much debt he has, what stock is pledged. We do know that with the incredible rise in Tesla stock, there's a big safety margin that his lenders have right now. Okay. Right. Yep. So I think to count on him suffering financial strain before there's a complete collapse in the Tesla share price, that's unrealistic. Tesla, thanks to this enormous, you know, the, the, the enormous gamma, uh, you know, the, de the delta hedging that went on with all the call buying that pumped up the stock, there's, um, it's, it's rich in cash. It was able to raise billions and billions in cash on the back of all that, even though it said it didn't need it. And Elon Musk is rich in cash because he's got more stock value than ever that can act as collateral for his margin loan. So, yeah, fascinating, uh, you know. uh, fascinating way to hit kind of escape velocity of sorts. Yeah. I mean, who knows how it'll all play out? But you're certainly right. There's definitely a huge margin of safety for his lenders because he was borrowing a lot of yeah. that money when the, the stock was at 300 pre-split, you know, which would right. be, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, we're talking yeah, seventy five dollars a share now. Um, anyways, yeah. okay. So uh, two more. The next one is: Do you think the transition to EVs is a foregone conclusion? Um, oil companies saying now they're getting out of oil. Car companies saying they'll go full EV by twenty thirty. Um, do you think it can really happen? Do you think you know what does the transition to EVs look like to you, Mister Skeptic? Uh, well, very little of it is driven by. Um by economics it's driven by governmental mandates okay so in my opinion you know evs would be a niche market and an interesting market if they had to do it without subsidy and without mandate and in time one hopes that we would see a decline in the use of fossil fuels and a rise in the use of renewables you know and, and when you're talking about renewables you're not only talking about solar and wind and hydro but nuclear i hope because solar and wind and hydro <clears throat> excuse me just can't get us there um i don't think the ambitious targets people have set for ev adoption can occur our grid isn't designed to accommodate it yet the prices the amount of subsidy needed is going to be astronomical because you know evs rely on expensive metals i think there are like 200 pounds of copper in an ev much much less in a in an internal combustion vehicle there are a lot of rare earth minerals needed for the magnets and um the, just the amount of mining that would have to occur people are going to wake up to the fact that if you're going to save the earth evs are not going to do it it's, you know there i it's a it's in my mind the push to evs is a terrible misallocation of resources because it's going to do so little especially with India and China going their own way. Even in China, the EVs are powered by coal mostly. The idea that they're going to save the world or, or help in the climate problem is, um, is mistaken. It's a misallocation of resources. It's so easy for politicians to announce that, you know, 
10 years out or 15 years out when they're no longer in office, certain things are mandated to occur, but they're gone when they don't occur and they don't ever take any responsibility for that. So no, it's going to happen more slowly than people think. Fossil fuels are going to continue to be important. It would be great if we can find renewable energy that uh, enables us to continually reduce our reliance on them. But right now they're, you know, if, I, I, I don't see the case for fossil fuels suddenly becoming fossils, okay? They're going to be important in the market. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, especially about your claim that it's just a, uh, you know, misallocation of resources. It's, you know, resources would normally be allocated to, you know, where they're used most efficiently, and all this is is just pushing that out of whack. Um, and so, you know, if, if there was a if there was an answer that, the free market determined would be satisfactory. It would arrive at that conclusion on its own. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, last Listen, if you if, if you want an intelligent an intelligent look at some of this stuff, a fellow named Koonin, K-O-O-N-I-N, has just written a book. And also, Bjorn Lomborg has a new book out called False Alarm. Oh, yeah, that's got and a lot sub, of The subtitle is How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. And in it, he has some really sensible suggestions about things we could be. He doesn't deny that the earth is warming and that it's probably almost certainly in, in part caused by, you know, human activity. But he has really sensible ways to start thinking about it and addressing it. And I, I highly recommend that book. Yeah, I think Mark Spiegel just uh, recommended the same book when he was on last time. So that's the one that's definitely on my list. Um, all right. Last question. We'll end on a on a bright and cheery note what's your favorite part of investing in public markets and do you have an early story about how you were drawn to the markets or an early success story well um well i wasn't you know i didn't start my life as a financial person until 12 years ago or so i worked just as a commercial trial attorney and so the cases i was working on were not stories of financial success. They were, they, I was like a pathologist. This was all diseased tissue. These are all deals that had gone bad. And it was really helpful for me when I, you know, when I started practicing law, it was right at the time of the first oil crash and then the SNL crisis. And I was in Texas. So ground zero for all that to see how easily deals can go bad and how easy it is to lose money in investing. Um, I think it's been chastening to me to see that even though I was right about Tesla's fundamentals, I was wrong about its share price. That's an important lesson. I I have now become the most boring investor in the world, Chris. I am because I'm now older too. I I invest in companies that are that are profitable and pay dividends, <laughs> and you know. Uh, and not like not like AT and T, with which is levered up with all this debt, but just companies with really good balance sheets. And yeah, the dividends are modest. Uh, and right now, I'm looking for companies that people hate. If if the ESG people hate it, I kind of like it more um, because if you're out of favor, it's a helpful thing sometimes. So uh, I would just give you really boring answers to something like that you know, in, in terms of how I invest and what my financial successes have been. I've just, I'm just now persuaded it's more important to swell at night and just do something slow and steady and, and yep. not worry about all the go-go stuff. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I've actually kind of arrived at some of those conclusions on my own over the last couple of years. It's just not worth the brain damage sometimes. Yeah. Well, listen, I want yeah. to thanks, uh, thank you so much for giving me an hour and 20 minutes of your time. My listeners, thank you. It's great to have you back on. I will put the link to that uh, GoFundMe account in my podcast description. Was there anything else that we missed that you wanted to uh, touch on, or are we okay? We'll save it for the next time. And, Chris, thank you very much for having me on. Really good to talk to you. Great to talk to you, too. I'll talk to you again soon. That was the one, the only, Mr. Montana Skeptic. Wonderful guy, well-spoken, thoughtful, pretty much the opposite of me. <laughs> I like to have him on as a nice counterbalance. Kind enough to give us an hour and 20 minutes of his time. Folks, I got a lot of things planned for the back half of this month. I know uh, I was on a break there for about two weeks, but have some good stuff coming up. Starting with today's wonderful interview with The Skeptic and moving forward to other uh, excellent content. So thank you guys so much for listening and Thank you again to my patrons who continue to support the show. I am out of here for now. Peace.